Welcome to the Sheep Connect New South Wales podcast. It's time for you. A podcast produced for the sheep industry by Sheep Connect New South Wales. Hi, I'm Fiona MacArthur, a network coordinator for Sheep Connect New South Wales. The extension network in New South Wales, which is funded by Australian Wool Innovation. Sheep Connect New South Wales has a membership of over 4,000 and our main aim is to help keep you and your sheep business up to date on information about all things sheep. We are pleased to have you join us this season for our spring summer edition of It's Time For You. With over 70,000 listens on our podcast, we thank you for joining us. Optimising nutrition in the pastoral zone has been a podcast suggestion from some of our listeners. So to cover off on this topic, in this episode of It's Time For You, I'm joined by Tanisha Shields and Rob Inglis. Tanisha is the Senior Land Services Officer for Agriculture with the Western Local Land Services based in Balranald in southwest New South Wales. She grew up on her family's mixed farming block near Narandera and was actively involved in the farming business. Tanisha then went on to attend the Charles Sturt University in Wagga Wagga, studying a Bachelor of Agricultural Science, where she graduated in 2017. She was also awarded the CSU Agricultural Science Medal in 2017 for exhibiting outstanding achievement leadership participation while studying. Following her degree, she then pursued a traineeship with elders working in Yass and Toowoomba before commencing work with the Western Local Land Services in 2018. During her short time with the Local Land Services, she has initiated and driven significant engagement activities in her district and is passionate about bringing more opportunities to producers in the region. And we also have Rob, who's going to join us online. And Rob Inglis was raised on a family farm in southern New South Wales. He has a Bachelor of Science and Associate Diploma in Farm Management. He's worked as an agronomist, farm management manager and ruminant nutrition technical officer before assuming his current role, which is a livestock production manager for elders. He's helped train and assist many livestock production managers, uh, people through elders and advisors and throughout his work with the network, as well as offering livestock production con consultation to elders clients. He's also facilitated over 30 lifetime new management groups, as well as collaborated with AWNI and MLA to deliver Breadwell, Fedwell and Sheep Connect's very own Winning with Winners workshop. Welcome Tanisha and Rob, and thank you so much for joining me today on It's Time For You. Thank you, Fiona. Yeah, thanks, Fiona. Pleasure to be here. Rob, let's start with you. What makes the pastoral zone so unique to the rest of New South Wales? Um, the pastoral zone is unique because, yeah, we don't really see the same uh, seasonal conditions that we see in, in inside country where we get dominant seasons. So in the pastoral zone, uh, the rain or the rainfall events tend to be a, little, a bit more sporadic. Um, so we need to exploit those periods where we do get good feed um, in terms of ewe management. We need to exploit those periods and put as much condition on ewes as quickly as we can because uh, more often than not, what tends to happen in that pastoral area is we grow a haystack, which may 
it may be, you know, 12, 6, up to 24 months before we get another rain event. So it's about utilising the feed and conserving feed by manipulating stocking rates and so forth to make sure that feed can last us, maybe in worst case scenario, at least two years. Certainly a very challenging environment. Um, Tanisha, we'll move on with you. When we, when you talk to your clients about optimising their flocks nutrition out in the pastoral zone, what are some of the common terms that they should be familiar with? When we're talking about livestock nutrition in the pastoral zone, a lot of the terms that we're talking about are still quite consistent with what you're hearing throughout the other parts of the state. So we're looking at the feed quality terms such as dry matter, digestibility, metabolizable energy, crude protein and neutral detergent fibre or NDF. And so the, the dry matter is simply just a measure of the amount of moisture in a feed. So it tells you the proportion of the pasture that doesn't contain the water. I think the most important term for people in the pastoral zone to be familiar with is digestibility. And this is the digestible dry matter in a feed. And that's really important because it's telling us how much of that feed the livestock are keeping in their body to use for production. So things like milk production, wool production or growing meat versus how much they're not using and it's being removed from their body after they're eating. Um, and that's really important because it's determined by the quality of the feed. So we've got green pasture being of higher digestibility than pastures that are, have less green in them. When we look at these terms, Tanisha, how can we use these different aspects of analysing pasture to help with feed budgeting? So there's a certain way you can use many of the different parameters. So the likes of metabolizable energy, which is directly related to that digestibility I was just talking about. So that's the amount of energy that a feed contains. So energy along with protein are important for determining whether we're meeting the livestock's demands from the pasture. So that's whether they're getting enough good quality nutrition to meet their nutritional demands. And then we can also use the fibre content. So neutral detergent fibre can be used to estimate potential intake. So it's important because neutral detergent fibre really determines how much of that feed they can physically consume. So the lower the NDF value, the more of that pasture the animal can eat. And a really simple, easy way to calculate this on the back of an envelope is if you put 120 and divide this by the NDF, that will give you a percentage of their body weight that is their potential intake of that pasture. So for example, if you have an NDF value of 60 on a pasture, that might be something like a ryegrass pasture. So if we have 120 divided by 60, that means that that sheep or cow can eat possibly 2% of their body weight of that feed. Rob, once we know about the pastures, how can the used nutritional requirement affect the ability based on that fee budgeting for say a DSE rating? Right, Fiona. Well, what is a DSE firstly? So as a point of reference, I'm sure most would know this, that one DSE is the amount of energy required to maintain a 50 kilo dry sheep for one day. I think there should be another variable added to that. It should be a 50 kilo dry sheep cutting no more than 10% of its body weight in wool. 
So we know that sheep that are cutting up well above that 10% of their body weight in wool do require more energy per day. So that obviously has an effect on their DSC rating. And I guess a good example of that is comparing shedding sheep to a, a heavy cutting traditional Pepin style Merino sheep. Same body weight, same size, but the Merino sheep will require, will have a higher DSC rating because it is growing you know, up to uh, 12 or 13% of its body weight in wool. So there are a whole lot of variables. Um, pregnancy status will affect the DSC rating. Lactation, obviously, as well. So are you uh, in mid-lact or peak lactation with twin bearing, with twin lambs at foot can have a DSC rating up to four DSC. So it depends on pregnancy status, wool cut, lactation, energy required during daily um, eating, grazing, drinking habits, uh, whether they're walking up and down hills, temperature, there are a whole lot of things that have that affect the DSC. But basically, we use the DSC as a, as a sort of a the US currency of energy demand. I guess we're one DSC equals 8.3 megajoules of energy. So once we know that, we can we can budget basically. We can we can match the animal's energy demands uh, through feed with their DSC rating. Thanks, Rob. And feed quality changes dramatically in the higher rainfall zones. And for people that are online that know me would know that that's where I'm located from. So the pastoral zone's a little bit out of my comfort zone. In Tanisha, how does the quality of pasture change as it matures? Is it similar in the pastoral zone as it is over on the more eastern side of the state? Yes, Fiona, it is quite similar to what happens naturally for plants as they mature. So as a species goes through the stages of growth, its digestibility, which is that quality parameter that's directly related to the energy content. So like Rob's just explained, that determines how much of that feed they can eat to meet their demand. So as a plant matures and becomes less green or grows and senesces and gets more fibrous, the digestibility is going to decrease. So that means that the quality of that pasture is also decreasing. And this is quite similar in the pastoral zone uh, to high rainfall zones, particularly with the annual pasture flush that we see through winter time. We often see that full digestibility curve go through. And it's really important to be able to track that because it's that tipping point from when pastures go from being above 55% digestibility where livestock are likely to be producing of good quality, they're maintaining their body weight or they're actually growing. And then once a pasture falls below that digestibility threshold, livestock are likely to start losing weight and condition. So it really does pay to understand when those plants are going through the different growth stages and how that's influencing their quality. Thanks, Tanisha. So what about quantity then um, in the pastoral zone? What are there? Obviously, rainfall is going to have a huge effect because it's so scarce. But um, what other um, factors could affect quantity in the pastoral zone? Quantity in the pastoral zone is affected by numerous, numerous factors. We live in, as Rob's already mentioned, we live in such a variable climate environment and then we also have such variation in the landscape types as well in the pastoral zone. So as things like soil type change or location in the landscape, that will also change the composition of those pastures. So the types of plant species that we're seeing will shift as you move through different locations in the pastoral zone. So this has a really large impact 
on exactly how much of that pasture is there. So, for example, some pastoral species will be more prolific in their growth than others, so quantity is largely driven by the type of species present. It can also be influenced by previous management or previous grazing activity because that also influences the type of species that are there in the environment. So previous management may have had an impact on the amount of a species that's present in that landscape or if that species is even there at all because it is quite easy for grazing management to remove certain species from those environments in the partial zone as well. So the key to partial quantity in the partial zone really comes down to knowing which plants are there because that influences how much of it's going to be there as well. I'm um, familiar with pasture curves in the higher rainfall zone and we use rainfall and pasture curves to help us predict pasture growth and then that helps aid in feed budgeting and helps us allocate our numbers of DSEs over here. Can you do the same thing with pasture curbs in the pastoral zone? Uh, look, the pasture, pasture, sorry, pasture curbs in the pastoral zone, Fiona, aren't really that effective because as Tanisha mentioned before, the rainfall is a lot more capricious. So in the pastoral area, we sort of grow, we get go through periods where we'll grow a haystack. Uh, a, a good example is now, I've just done a lifetime year day at, uh, at a Puncari yesterday where They've had pretty good rainfall in places, so they've grown in places up to a thousand kilograms of dry matter uh, in in some of their annual grasses, spear grasses, and so forth. So they may well be that may well be their feed wedge, if you like, for the next two years. So yeah, pasture curves don't really bear much relevance in the pastoral area because because the rainfall is so ephemeral. So Tanisha then, if pasture curves aren't help with feed budgeting, how about feed tests? What are your recommendations for conducting them on farm out in the pastoral zone? Yeah, feed tests are becoming more and more of a useful tool for us in the pastoral zone because they're a really good indicator of feed quality, which is a large determinant of livestock production and how much they can consume of that feed. So we've been going through collecting a series of feed tests in the pastoral zone to see whether we can use that information in feed budgeting. And it is proving to be quite useful for producers to understand just what that quality is of their pastures when they're making livestock management decisions. So some things that we're doing with partial feed tests is looking at selecting a range of species that are present in the pasture because that's one of the biggest questions that we have in the partial zone often is it's really hard to pick what the stock are actually eating because there's such a diverse range of species present in our pastures. We need to understand what might be consuming or what they might be consuming as part of their diet. So when you're conducting your partial feed tests, make sure that you're selecting a range of species from the pasture that are likely to be eaten and also selecting the parts of the plant that are likely to be eaten. You can take samples of the whole plant and put this into the feed test bag, but just bear in mind that that will influence the results because things like stems and sticks on the plant will influence whether the digestibility level is as high or lower. And you just need to consider whether the livestock are going to be eating those parts of the plant. It's also really important to sample from a range of plants and in different locations around the paddock. So I like to try and look at around three to five locations 
across a paddock when collecting partial feed tests as well. And this is really simple. You can get feed test bags from your local land services office or New South Wales DPI, and then you just send these off to the lab for testing and you'll get some results of what the partial quality is in your paddocks. Tanisha, what should graziers consider when they get those results back when they're trying to interpret them back on farm? The main parameters I like to consider when looking at a feed test result. So you receive a form back when you get your feed test and there's quite a lot of information there and there can be an overwhelming amount of numbers and charts and tables involved in the feed test process. But there's three main parameters to look at when you're looking at your feed test results for partial species. The first being that digestibility that we've talked about earlier today, because that really is key for determining whether they're going to be above or below that digestibility threshold. So that's 55%. But also bear in mind, we often talk about some of the partial species will often be below this 55% digestibility threshold. But as I've just mentioned, the livestock are consuming from a range of different pastures. So there may be uh, species of high digestibility that they're having a little bit of a nibble on and then they're going over here and eating something that's a little bit lower digestibility and that's balancing out. So it's hard to precisely predict what their production will be based on that digestibility alone. The other parameters to consider when looking at your feed test results are the metabolizer energy value. As Rob's mentioned earlier, one DSC will require 8.3 megajoules of energy per day. So this value will let you know whether your sheep, based on their, once you know their DSE rating, what their energy requirements are, and then you'll be able to match this with what the feed quality value is as well. And then the final parameter on the feed test result that I'm looking at is the crude protein value, which is often not limiting in a pastoral setting. Quite a lot of our our salt bushes, blue bushes, cotton bushes and the likes have quite high protein naturally. So protein's not often limiting in our landscapes except for when we move into more of the grassland environment and that's when protein may become a limiting factor. And Tanisha, what species are important out in the pastoral zone? The key to pasture quality or pasture management in the pastoral zone really is diversity. Having a good range of species present for the livestock to consume or pick through and choose what they're going to eat is key to driving production. And also from a landscape function point of view, the perennials in the system are really essential because as Rob mentioned, it can rain out here at any time of the year. So you really need to make sure that you have those perennials in the system that have the ability to respond and take opportunities when it rains at any given time. So for example, at the moment, we've got some beautiful fresh perennial grasses growing down in the south of the region in response to the November and December rainfalls that we've had. If those grasses weren't there in the system, the pasture quality would be significantly lower. You've mentioned the importance of diversity there. How can grazing impact the sustainability of some of those more precious species? It's really important when grazing pastoral uh, areas to make sure that you're monitoring those perennials that I've just mentioned because often the ones that are the most productive are the ones that taste the best or the most 
palatable. And so the sheep are naturally going to move and select for those species over those that are less palatable and desirable. So you really need to make sure for sustainable grazing management into the future that you're leaving enough of those perennials in the system so that they can then reproduce and grow the next year's worth of feed. Otherwise, you end up with landscapes or pasture systems that have a high number of undesirable plants that are less palatable for the, the sheep to consume and a lower number of those really important perennial species. So Rob and Tanisha, you're both conducting a project at the moment, which is looking at feed values in the pastoral zone. Do you, Could you just explain the project a little bit to us and do you have any preliminary findings? Yeah, well, I'll start. The, the project, Fiona, is to determine, it's based on some research done at Trangies, to determine the long-term um, reproductive efficiency of ewes uh, based on their their uh, their weaning weight. So we have calculated based on percentages on on industry standard percentages the weight for age benchmarks of sheep on various properties in Western New South Wales at various ages. So we try to ensure that these ewe weaners meet their benchmark weight requirements because the research early research shows that those that exceed those benchmark weights at a certain weight for age are far more productive and far more reproductively more efficient than those that are below those benchmark weights. So we are out to, we're endeavouring endeavoring to prove uh, on a commercial basis that, that these benchmark weights, that management of ewe weaners and meeting those benchmark weight targets is an important step in determining or ensuring their uh, overall lifetime reproductive performance. Findings thus far, Tanisha, you may you might uh, add to that. Yes, I'll add to that, Rob. Thank you. From a pasture production or feed value point of view, so some of the key findings that we've seen in this first year of the project is looking at the shift in the compositions of the pastures throughout the different seasons of the year. So, for example, some of our findings from spring feed values are that a large proportion of the quality uh, of the pastures is driven by the annuals in the system. So things like the burmetics and the barley grass providing quite a high quality, high protein, highly digestible diet for the sheep throughout the spring period. This then shifts through when we change into summer, where we go into that more perennial dominated system that we've already spoken about today. So we've got a lot more reliance on the likes of windmill grasses and bladder salt bushes over the summer period. And there's a composition change in the quality as well of these species. So that's when we go from being quite highly digestible to digestibility and energy likely becoming a limiting factor in this part of the world over summer, but then we've also got quite high protein values in the likes of our salt bushes, providing a good protein source over the summer period. The reliance on these perennials then continues through into the autumn. So we're still seeing quite 
higher quality diets in the autumn coming from our perennial grasses, particularly the likes of fairy grass, seem to be providing quite a lovely, highly digestible, high protein and high energy diet for the production of sheep on these pastures in the autumn period. And then we're also seeing some more of the annuals start to come through. And then once we go into winter, it's quite similar to spring. We've got a heavy reliance of quite a high quality diet based on those burmetics and barley grasses. So I think the sum up of the key values from the speed testing that we're seeing is the importance of having that variety of species that we've mentioned already to respond to rainfall throughout the year. And then we'll then link this back to the livestock production from these weaners that we're weighing throughout to see whether there's going to be a cost benefit of feeding them extra feed when that pasture is likely to be limiting from a quality and quantity point of view. It would be great to have you both back on the podcast again when that project finishes so that we can get the final results from that. Before we finish up today though, Rob, we might just finish off with you. What are some of the other management strategies that graziers should be considering to optimise their ewe performance? Right, Fiona. Well, well, the the, the 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 ultimate way, or the optimal way, I suppose, to to manage your use is to regularly condition score them. Now, I'm sure there are people listening that will have or may have done lifetime ewe management, so that's the perfect tool, really, or the perfect training vehicle, um, which to learn how to condition score sheep. So, condition scoring your ewes regularly, I would say, is the only way to really manage your ewe. There are ewes in everyone's flock that will be doing a major or most of the heavy lifting. So there'll be some ewes in, in your flock that will be producing you, weaning you heavy lambs and cutting a lot of wool. Those ewes will invariably lose more condition in lactation than their somewhat underperforming contemporaries, let's say. So without without the, the ability or without knowing how to condition score, some of these better producing ewes might be, be uh, being underfed and some of those uh, passengers, if you want a better word, may be well being overfed. So differential management of ewes based on their condition score is really the underlying parable, if you like, to, to successful sheep management. And if people would like to know more about the lifetime ewe management course, are they able to contact you out in the pastoral zone? Certainly they could contact myself or Tanisha. We're both uh, registered trainers uh, or deliverers. Uh, there are a number of um, lifetime ewe deliverers throughout um, Australia, actually. So, yeah, the best avenue I suspect would be to contact RIST, Rural Industries Skill Training. Uh, AWI sponsor the, the lifetime ewe course and RIST are the coordinators. So if you were to contact either myself or Tanisha or get in touch with RIST, they'd be able to direct you to the, the trainer that's uh, located in your area. Fabulous. Well, thank you, Tanisha and Rob, for sharing your knowledge with our listeners and for joining me today on It's Time For You. Thank you, Fiona. Thanks, Fiona. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of It's Time For You, the Sheep Connect New South Wales podcast. If you haven't done so already, rate and review us on iTunes. We'd appreciate it if you could share our podcast within your networks. 
And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to the Australian Wool Innovation Podcast, The Yarn. We'd love you to stay in contact with Sheep Connect New South Wales, and you can do this in a number of ways. Join our network by visiting www.sheepconnectnewsouthwales.com.au and you can find us at Sheep Connect New South Wales on Facebook and Twitter. We look forward to seeing you at our workshops and events during the year. Thank you again for joining us today. Bye for now. Thank you.